Well, we're going to get straight into the Word this morning, and uh, if you are here for the very first time, we do welcome you. I trust that you got a welcome packet, a black bag filled with some goodies from our church. I say that primarily because of this. I'm about to jump into the third sermon of a series that we've started. I cannot do review every week purely because there's so much information that I need to put on the table as it is. I do want you to know, though, if you're here for the first time today or if you missed some of the previous messages in this series, Pastor Carlos uh, has set up our YouTube channel. If you go to Grace and Faith on YouTube, go to YouTube and punch in Grace and Faith Church Tampa. Pastor Carlos, is it possible to put the church logo up, the black circle with the G and F? I don't know if you guys ever noticed that G is also an F. They're combined. G and F for grace and faith. The church logo, if you click on our channel, you will be able to see the previous sermons as well as the current one after today. Do we have it? Okay. And I think on the YouTube channel, the logo down the bottom is in black with the letters in white. Well, good morning, church. I'm ready to go. And I don't mean leave. <laughs> I'm ready to preach up a storm and uh, to give you some really important information. This series is called The First Step to Your Greatest Successes in Life. God doesn't want you to hit one high moment. He wants you to hit high moment after high moment after high moment. And so, good to see you and Lori back. Jeff and Lori, great to have you guys back. Uh, it is uh, the first step in your greatest successes. God wants his kids to be successful. And successful starts with being happy, content, fulfilled on the inside. And that starts with developing a relationship with God and having intimacy of relationship with him. And so the first step to your greatest success. Today, I'm going to be preaching. My title is called Soul Control. S-O-U-L, Soul Control. This series started with a sermon that was entitled, and I'm searching my memory bank right now. Uh, the first one was called The Garden of Conflict, and it's where in our soul we come to a place a crossroad, a moment in time where we have to make a decision. Am I going to react out of my past? Am I going to react out of the circumstance? Am I going to choose the thing that I think is best for me? Or am I going to surrender all of those myriads of decisions that make up the life I will have lived? Am I going to submit them to God and say, Father, not my will, not my way, but your will and your way be done in me. You see, I'm absolutely convinced that as smart as I am, I'm not smarter than God. I'm absolutely convinced that as good a person as I can be, I'm nowhere near as good as God. I'm absolutely convinced that as much as I want my success, God wants my success even more than me. I am convinced that God is so good, he can never have an evil motive. God is so good, he cannot be prejudiced. He cannot prefer one person over another. 
God has established laws and rules in the realm of the spirit. And the more we read God's word, the more we understand how the spirit world works. Look, if you're going to get a license, you need to understand how the laws of the road work. Or you're going to be in deep doo-doo pretty quick. Okay? You have to understand what a red light means and what a green light means. And you have to understand common rules that hopefully everybody else on the road is abiding by also. Otherwise, you'll have chaos. And if you get behind the wheel of a car and you don't know the rules of the road, you'll not only be a menace to yourself, you'll be a menace to everyone else. What amazes me is that we don't follow this logic through in the church. We get a lot of sermons but not a lot of teaching on principles. The the spirit world can be defined. And uh, today we are going to be defining yet again another aspect of the spirit world and how we function in this natural world as well as in the spirit world. And so last week I told you I would be preaching on soul control. The Bible teaches us that we are a triune being. We are made up of three parts. You get to see the outside of me, and most of us in this room would all like to change something about the outside of us. But it's not the outside of us that really determines the type of person we are. It's what's on the inside. And so we are spirit, the Bible says. We are a soul, and we are a body. Now, I make this statement almost all the time. That is a divine progression. When you start to understand the Word of God, you will understand that there are certain laws that start with point A, and you'll never get to point B until you start with A, and you'll never get to C unless you've gone from A to B then to C. That's a progression. And there are many laws in God's Word that are divine progressions. And I find sometimes some Christians are fumbling around because no one's ever sat them down or they've never sat themselves down and became studious or serious or purposeful about their Christian walk. I want your walk to be successful. I want your life in God and your life on earth to be successful both in the natural world as well as in the spiritual world. Now, we just spent time singing a blessing over one another. How many of you can agree with that blessing? Amen. Amen. The the Apostle Paul prays in, in Thessalonians, and he says, I pray that you will be made whole in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body, that you will prosper in your spirit, your soul, and your body. So this is the first step to your greatest success in life, And in the previous two messages, I made it quite clear that the sooner we can learn to trust the goodness of God and the sooner we could understand that he sees the road ahead much clearer than what we see, the sooner we'll be able to say, God, I know this is what I want and this is what I want to do, but I'm submitting it to you because you see what's ahead that I don't see. You see what's in a man's heart, a woman's heart that I don't see. You see what will be best for me that I don't see. And so as much as I really want this, 
I submit my intentions. I submit my desires. I submit my goals to you and say, Father, not my will, not my way, but your will and your way be done. And I can honestly tell you that that's the first step to your greatest successes in life because every time you come to a major decision point in life, if you bathe it in prayer and submit it to God the Father through Jesus, God will open the right doors and close the wrong doors. By the way you're saying amen, I could tell there's quite a few of you here that have opened up wrong doors and regretted it. <laughs> See, the amens just got louder. If I keep asking questions like that, soon it'll sound like thunder. <laughs> we all have enough uh, bruises and ouches to know that while we have good intention for ourselves, sometimes we just happen to make a lot of bad decisions. Don't raise your hand. Don't say amen. We already know it's you and me. I want to start with talking about how we are made up. We are spirit, soul, and body. And I started to say before, I always make this statement, it is a progression. But the next statement that I always make is this. In the world, because ever since the fall, everything is out of divine order. Everything is topsy-turvy. We're living in a world gone wild, a world gone mad. And so the world says we are body, soul, and spirit. Google it. You will see. They constantly use the phrase, and it's always body first, soul, then spirit. And sometimes instead of spirit, they say mind, or they substitute anything but our actual spirit. They redefine the definition of spirit. This is a phrase that comes straight out of the Word of God. So it is copyrighted in heaven, and anyone else who uses it and puts it out of divine order has perverted it and maligned it. We are spirit, we are a soul, and we are a body. And the sooner we understand how that functions, we can make sense or greater sense of our lives. Now, how many of you want to make greater sense of your life? I got half of you. How many of you want to make greater sense of the lives of the people in your lives? Now I got everybody. <laughs> All right. We're going to put up a little diagram. And this diagram uh, shows, for the sake of giving us a visual, the body is the outer circle because that's what everybody sees. The soul is the next place. And if you can't read what it says there because it, the printing is a little bit uh, sketchy, the soul is the place of the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions. And thirdly, it is the place where your will is triggered. I've said it over and over again, our best human decisions, not God decisions, our best human decisions generally come out of <clears throat> a combined consultation and agreement with the mind of our reason and the mind of our emotions. And when the two of them have consulted together and we make a 
rational decision with both minds functioning properly, we usually make better decisions and we trigger our will and set things in motion. If you're a person that always responds just out of emotion, you will not reach the greatest potential of your life. By the same token, if you're a person that only ever makes logical decisions and somehow you've numbed out that feeling side of your character and you don't take into consideration emotions and feelings, you will also not make the best possible decisions for your life. I mentioned last week that our soul can get fractured. The mind of reason, logic, belief systems, the mind that holds all the memories, together with the mind of our emotions, during trauma, there is a severage, a breakage. Uh, they get ripped apart. For example, in the case of child abuse, and uh, if we were to focus just for a moment on whether it was physical child abuse or uh, name-calling child abuse from a parent, uh, rejection child abuse, or even sexual child abuse. The trauma that happens inside of that child, the trauma that has happened inside of all of us, is that in the mind of reason, the mind of our intellect, we understand that this parent, this adult, is supposed to look out for our best interest. And yet, as demeaning words or uh, <clears throat> severe emotion is pounded down on us or sexual activity takes place, the mind of logic knows what it knows, but the mind of the emotion says this is all wrong. It's not feeling right. And it causes a terror and a separation. And in those wounds, we live out of those wounds usually for the rest of our lives unless we allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to heal us. It, it never ceases to amaze me. I can have an 80-year-old gentleman in my office, and I'm counseling him, and he's still struggling with issues when he was six years old because of things that happened in his childhood. Now, I don't say that to amaze you. I say that to let you know most of us are like the rest of us because every one of us can equate with that. You may not be in your 80s, but you can equate with the fact that there are things from our childhood that still plague us and they actually affect how we think and they affect the decisions we make moving forward. How is a bad traumatic circumstance from the past ever going to govern wise, balanced decisions moving into the future. You see, God wants to heal us in the area of our soul. Turn to somebody and say, I need to hear this again. And so I direct you to YouTube or Facebook. I'm going to share a lot of things today, and I have to do it as quickly as possible. Listen. I'm not looking for you to listen to it again so that our numbers of listeners goes up. I know that what I'm teaching is very rarely taught in churches and it is totally misunderstood in the world. And what I'm teaching you is powerful, it's spiritual, and it'll revolutionize your life. Please don't treat coming to church like your Sunday due diligence. 
I hope you come here every Sunday with the attitude, man, God's going to teach me something today, and I'm going to be better for it. Because if you do, your life will go from the pits to a place of progress. And God wants to take us to a place of progress. G'day, Didier. How are you? Good to see you. Did you ride your Harley here today? Okay. All right. Soul control. So we are, if we could have the diagram again, a body on the outside, a soul, and a spirit. But God designed us to function best as a spirit speaking to our soul, speaking to our body. What has happened is because of the fall and because divine order has been broken, we have our body speaking to our soul, ignoring our spirit. I'm going to prove this stuff to you scripturally in just a moment, okay? I'm going to show you scriptures and interpret it and show you things maybe you've never quite seen in that perspective before. I want to start by saying this. Initially, before the fall, man's spirit was alive. It was the means of communication with God the Father. And when mankind fell, his spirit became dormant. In other words, it became non-active. Okay? I'm going to show you that in a moment. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. For a very brief moment, we're going to look at the fall of humanity. And verse 2 to 4, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You will not eat it, or you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. Well, they didn't in their physical body. While Adam's human body didn't die, his spirit became non-responsive or dormant and disconnected to God. In any area of your life, if you are disconnected from your emotions, the mind of your emotions, there'll be an obvious brokenness about you and while you don't see it and it's your norm, everybody else around you trying to relate to you will see it and they will actually be the recipients of that jagged edge. You're meant to be a well-balanced logical being and a well-balanced emotional being. And so... When we've been traumatized and we've stifled emotion, while we think we are preserving ourselves and protecting ourselves, we are actually closing the door and limiting ourselves from reaching our best potential and best outcomes in life. And unfortunately, when we do that, the people we want to have relationship with the most are the ones we are keeping at arm's distance because for human relationship to thrive, we need well-balanced, meted-out emotion. And without emotion, we're gasping for air. 
And so the very thing you're trying to protect yourself from, you are actually causing to repeat over and over again because as you stiff arm everybody emotionally, you are being robbed of the type of fellowship, affection, and validation that you need. Man cannot function wholly or completely purely as a logical being. How many of you have ever watched Star Wars? Star Wars? Sorry, no. Uh, Star Trek. There we go. How many Trekkies do we have here? A few. Can you, can you do that? I can't do it. I can do it like this. And we had Spock, who was purely this logical being and could not factor in emotion and consequences of feeling into any equation. If we're purely emotional, it's equally detrimental. Proverbs says that sometimes with some people, if they're out of balance, you're better off living on the corner of a roof. The woman said, we will die, and the serpent said, no, you won't. Whenever you're disconnected, whether it's disconnected from your emotions or disconnected from logic, whenever we're disconnected, we are not whole. Man died and became disconnected with God. And I have news for you. Whether you believe there's a God or not, you are never whole until you are reconnected with the source of life, God, your creator, your lover, your father. Okay, And so any form of disconnection in life actually brings less of us to the party. And the very first place we get disconnected is in relationship with God. And humanity died in the sense that his spirit became dormant and non-responsive. Now let me prove that to you from Scripture. Uh, sometimes, you know, we get religious doctrines and there's no Scripture to back it up. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 5, in the old King James translation, Paul uses this word, quickened. He says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Before you came to Jesus. We have some folk here that have recently asked Jesus in their heart. Before you did that, the Bible says your spirit was dormant. You were not hearing and seeing and relating to God in the capacity that he designed and that he created. And so when we come to Jesus, what happens is our spirit is awakened because now we can have relationship with the Father in spirit. Hello? Absolutely. All right. So Paul says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sin, we're in sin, but we're not physically dead. We're dead spiritually. Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. The word quickened in the Greek, in the original manuscripts, if we were to read this in the original parchment in, in Greek, I won't even try to pronounce the Greek word because then you'll realize how educated I am not. <laughs> uh, it means to make alive together with. Our spirit is brought back to an awareness and a consciousness. 
while you are alive, before you meet Jesus, your spirit is dormant. But it is quickened, it is awakened, it is resuscitated. It is brought back to a place of awareness. And so the Bible teaches us this. Uh, it also goes on to say it comes from two Greek words, son and zupoio, to reanimate conjointly, to bring to life and join together. When you got born again, your spirit not only was made alive and aware, it was joined with Jesus Christ. Isn't that pretty cool? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, prior to the fall of humanity, man communicated to God through his spirit. Now, um, <clears throat> Uh, I have another diagram I want to put on the board. Uh, to the people in the sound room, Zach in particular, uh, I noticed I just made an error. I said man communicated to God by his spirit. Whenever we talk about man's spirit, you'll notice, folks, in the Bible, when it talks about your spirit, it's always lowercase s. Whenever it talks about the Holy Spirit, it's capital H, capital S, and sometimes it refers to the Holy Spirit and just says Spirit, it's always capital S. So uh, guys, uh, as you do my notes, and that mistake was my mistake, but make note that whenever the verse is talking about the, hum the human being's spirit, it's small s, and God's spirit is always capital S. So here we have, I don't know if we can scrunch this down a little bit. We're losing a bit of the top. Can we scroll it down? Are we losing a bit of the top? The Holy Spirit of God speaks to our spirit, little s. Now, whether you want to draw this up as a triangle broken up, you know, into three segments, or you want to draw it as a circle within a circle. What's very interesting is in the Old Testament, when God was calling uh, the Hebrew people out of Egypt, he said, I, I'm going to use you as a building block to reach all of humanity. And out of you will come a Messiah, a Savior, that I will bring salvation so that anyone could be saved. And while they were journeying from Egypt and they're get, making their way to the promised land, and like all human beings, they went through a journey because of some pretty poor decisions. God says to Moses, I want you to build a temple, but it needs to be transportable, so we're going to call it a tabernacle because you can pack it up and then move on. And I want you to build it according to pattern. And there are three sections to the tabernacle. There's the outer court, which everyone had access to. It's like the body. And then there's the inner court where the priests function, and they started to re uh, relate and do the activities that God had called them to do religiously. And then there was a third section, a third square. The second square, the outer court, and the holy of holies. That's the most intimate, holy place. It was like one box divided in half. Whereas the outer court is a separate box. That's interesting because your body, when you die, will stay here in the ground, but your soul and your spirit will go to be with God. And it's very interesting that the tabernacle is designed, it's one complete outer box made up of animal skins and tent poles. And then inside, once you came 
into the holy place. The holy place is one box, and it represents soul and spirit. So your body, the Bible calls a tent. And when you die, this tent will stay here. But your holy place and the holy of holies, the place where you communicate with God, the priests only communicated with God in the holy of holies. You communicate with God from your spirit. Your soul and your spirit will leave your body and go to heaven. We are a triune being. You will see that God often works in threes. God is a triune being, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, we're going to keep moving forward. I'm breaking this down because I want you to understand who you are and how you were created to function. And so God, just like he would speak to the priest in the Holy of Holies, he speaks to us in that most inner, intimate place called our spirit. And so when man died, spiritually, that communication ceased. So now he's going to function out of his body and out of his soul rather than out of his spirit. Um, <clears throat> I have here a scripture in Matthew 13, uh, verse 13 to 15. Jesus is talking to the people of his day. And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. And I'm going to crunch it down to uh, a real quick Jesus basically repeated what the prophet said. He said, you have ears, but you don't hear. You have eyes, but you don't see. You have a heart, you don't understand. And what was he saying? Was he saying you have physical eyes, but you're physically blind? No, he was saying you have eyes, spiritual eyes, but you're spiritually blind. You have spiritual ears, but you are deaf. He was speaking to religious leaders of his day, and they had a religious tradition. They didn't have a relationship with God. And so often what we don't like about church is religion. Jesus never came to establish religion. He came to establish relationship. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about God's kingdom coming to earth, God's kingdom coming in me. He's the king, and I submit to him, and I have relationship with him. And he always loves me a lot more than I could ever love him. It doesn't matter how passionate I get up here when I'm preaching or how passionate I get when I'm worshiping. I can assure you, I can never match God's passion for me, no matter how passionate I am about him. The same is true of you. God is passionate about you. He's crazy about you. He loves you. So Jesus was making an observation to the religious people of the day. He said, you're spiritually still dead. You have spiritual eyes, but you don't see. You have spiritual ears, but you don't hear. Let me prove yet again that the spirit can see and the spirit can hear. We have a story, and I'm not going to read it, but I am going to put it on the screen. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 to verse 23. Now, if you want to take a, Snapchat of, a snapshot of this and look up the story when you go home, see if you could poke any holes in Pastor Rob's sermon, or take it home and just... Educate yourself. Devour the word of God. All right, so grab your cell phone if you want. Take a picture of it. 
In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 to 23, we have a story where the king of Aram had come against the king of Israel. This was during the time of the prophet Elisha. Elijah had gone to be with God. He left his anointing with Elisha. Elisha would see in the spirit where the king would send his forces and he would send a message to the king of Israel and say, make sure you don't go down such and such a route because the king of Aram has set up an attack zone. Well, the king of Aram was getting really frustrated because every time he set his, his uh, ploys up to capture an attack, they were diverted. And he started to think that some of his own men were ratting on him and they were like double agents. And so finally he gets a, a, his crack team together and he finds out that the prophet Elisha is telling the king of Israel where not to go. And so he says, well, where's Elisha? We're going to get him. And he gets his crack team and he sends them out early in the morning and Elisha's up on a mountain and his servant Gehazi comes out and he sees they are surrounded by all these chariots and soldiers. And he's freaking out. He's panicking. He goes inside and he says to Elisha, we're dead meat. The king of Aram has sent his men to get us. And Elisha prayed and said, God, open his eyes so he could see. And in an instant, Gehazi, the servant to the to the prophet, opened his eyes, and in the realm of the spirit, he saw chariots of fire, and he saw the armies of God. Then Elisha prayed blindness temporarily on the soldiers on the ground, and he went down, asked them what they were looking for, and he led them straight into Samaria, where the king of Israel was. And when the king of Israel got his enemies under uh, his grasp, he said, should I kill them? And the prophet said, no, make a meal for them, give them a feast, send them home. And because of that act of kindness, the king of Aram never attacked Israel again. Really, the moral to this story, not only am I showing you that you can see in the spirit, there is an invisible realm and you can see it. But the moral of the story is, is that when you start to walk in the spirit, you can avoid great tragedy and you could turn a circumstance around from disaster to a blessing, okay? It's very important if we're gonna take steps to our greatest successes that we realize that we are either functioning out of the five senses of our physical body or we could operate out of the five senses of our spiritual body. You see, the natural often correlates to the spiritual. Now, I purposely said the natural correlates to the spiritual because the spiritual is always first. The natural is secondary. And so in your natural body, your physical body, you have five senses. And that is the sense of sight, sound, smell, touch, and taste. Those five senses also exist in the realm of the spirit. You can see in the spirit. When I get a word of knowledge, sometimes 
I see images over a person, and then I speak out what I see, and it's accurate. Sometimes I hear it. A conversation starts taking place in my head, and it has nothing to do with my rational brain. And all of a sudden, my rational brain tries to interrupt it and say, well, that can't be right. The Spirit of God is speaking to my spirit and bringing the information to my soul the way it was meant to be. We can see in the Spirit. We can hear in the Spirit. You can actually taste in the Spirit. You can smell in the Spirit, and you can feel or touch the presence of God in the Spirit. The natural body also has appetites. Your physical body has appetites. One of its appetites is hunger. Your biological, physical body needs food or it will die. Hunger becomes a strong driving force. You have hunger in your natural body. You also have thirst. If you don't drink, you will die. You could eat all you want. If you don't drink, you will die. These are called appetites. In your natural biological body, you also have the appetite for intimacy. And in that intimacy is sexuality, to be sexual. These are drives, these are urges that start from the physical body and they speak to us and they can trigger our will. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you don't put your hand up, everyone will know you're just a liar. <laughs> Who's ever been spoken to by the appetites of their physical body? Let me see your hand. Of course, we all have. This is just how it functions. What's interesting is, because we were created to be spirit first, and our spirit is meant to speak to our mind of our intellect and the mind of our emotions, triggering a course of action and then telling the body what to do, we also have these five senses and these appetites in our spirit. In our spirit, we're meant to hunger for God. We're meant to thirst for God. Jesus actually said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What's happened is we live in a world where people are spiritually dormant and there is no hunger for God and no thirst for God. We live in a godless society and because we live in a godless society, we don't hold ourselves accountable to a higher power. Come on, somebody say this is good preaching. I know you're listening and you're trying to absorb it all and you're just, you're taking it in, but every once in a while the preacher needs to know you're with him. Are you with me? Am I hitting the mark? Okay, so just like these appetites exist in your physical body and they will drive you, they were meant to be operational and functional in your spirit. But the enemy understood, I've got to deaden man's spirit because otherwise he will never follow me and submit to me. Now what happens is we ask Jesus into our heart, but then we don't develop our spirit. And we keep living out of our soul and out of what our body wants. And so we don't develop spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. 
And so the prophet said, these people are forever seeing, they're forever hearing, and they don't have a heart to understand. Their spiritual eyes are blind, their spiritual ears are deaf, and they've lost the spiritual hunger and the spiritual thirst for God. I want to tell you, if you want to knock your life out of the park, if you want to rock it, if you want to take your existence to a whole nother level, stir up your spiritual hunger, stir up your spiritual thirst, and and get hungry and fanatical about the things of God. I promise you, I promise you as surely as I stand here today, God will show up when you're hungry and when you're thirsty. I, I can promise you this too. In the natural, when I'm hungry for pizza, pizza shows up. And if you're hungry for God, so many Christians never get out of their soul and never learn how to live from their spirit. And so we have men, we have women, and they come to church and they're just not with it. Why is everybody else excited? It's a flag. And if you can see that flag on your life, this is what you need to understand. This is very crucial. You need to understand this because what that red flag is saying is that while you are not responding from your spirit with hunger and thirst for God, you're not living potentially out of the fullness of your spirit and therefore the enemy can sabotage you any day of the week. Thank you, Russ. You're often telling me that. I appreciate it. I need to get feedback. We need to hear stuff like this. You know, I could get up here and do your 30-minute motivational talk and inspire you and smile from ear to ear and stay so neat and tidy that I don't even sweat a drop. And every hair on my head, which is getting more and more by the day would be perfectly in place. I'm not here to give you a sermon. I'm here to teach you the principles of life. And if I'm not religious enough for you, I don't care. I don't want to be religious. I want to be real. And I want to say things that are meaningful and transformative. God is real, and he doesn't want us to play church. And too many Christians play church. If you are not attending to your spiritual well-being and you come every Sunday, I don't care if you can memorize scripture, if you are not putting it into practice and causing your spirit to grow, you're playing church. Amen. We gotta get real with God. And if my being real causes an offense, that's one offense I'm, allowed to, uh, I'm willing to allow happen. I would rather you get motivated. I would rather you get stirred. I would rather you go home and argue with God and then God will tell you he's right. <laughs> but we have natural appetites. We have natural senses. 
But Miriam, we also have spiritual appetites and spiritual senses, and you are not a whole being. You will never reach your greatest successes in God until your spirit is as much alive and is as active as your natural body, and your spirit needs to take control of your soul and your physical body. Somebody, give me a high five in the spirit. Come on. There's examples of hearing in the spirit. Just put it up there real quick. I'm not even going to talk about it. They can take a picture if they want. Here's a story. The Bible says, and in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. They weren't hearing God. And a little boy was given to the priest to be raised up in the temple, and he started to hear. Even the old man didn't hear God calling, but the little boy heard God three times, and he went to the prophet Samuel, and Samuel said, I didn't call you. He said, yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. And then finally, Samuel realized God was speaking, and only the boy could hear him. Uh, sorry, not the little boy was Samuel. Samuel went to Eli, the priest. And finally, Eli said, Samuel, the next time you hear what sounds like my voice calling you, say, yes, Lord, what do you want? You can hear in the spirit. It is my desire to bring you to a place in your Christianity where you see in the spirit, hear in the spirit, where you understand in the spirit. I want to bring you to your greatest functionality in Jesus Christ. Turn to somebody and say, that's what I want. All right. Here's another really cool example. I can't believe. How, uh, can you put the next scripture up? I'm going to take you through this here because this is the nativity scripture. We never see this. We never see it. Uh, let's go to the actual verses, Zach, if you've got them. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth and Zechariah were the parents of John the Baptist. Uh, they were barren. They never had children. And Zachariah serving in the temple, an angel appears and says, you're going to be a daddy. And he goes, come on. And uh, he, the angel says, you're going to name him John, but because you didn't believe, you're going to be uh, dumb for X amount of time until the baby's born. Zachariah comes out. He can't talk. He writes down, I had a visitation. My wife's going to have a baby. And uh, anyway, the story goes on. Um, <clears throat> In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, John, a God, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to, a ma to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. John the Baptist ends up being the cousin to the biological Jesus, all right? Uh, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man uh, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have, been, you have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary says, how will this be? She asked the angel, I'm a virgin. She's thinking of it happening in a human way. Not my will, not my way. She's thinking of it happening in the normal biological process. She says, how is that going to happen? How is intercourse going to take place? And I'm going to conceive the Son of God. I'm a virgin. And the angel says, look, you got to be real when you read the Bible. It's there. Don't read it with religious eyes. I didn't write this. It's there. God wants you to use your brain and think. Don't just go, hmm. <laughs> Read it. The Word of God is very practical. It's very real. It's very honest. Uh, she says, uh, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will overpower you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God's going to do it. It's going to be a miracle. It's not going to be the natural way. It'll be a spiritual thing. Um, uh, and then he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Church, no word from God will ever fail. Can I get an amen? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now Mary's buying in. She says, I'm a servant. Let him do. God, your will, your way. When she said, I am the Lord's servant, what she's saying is, I'm happy to be the vehicle whereby the Son of God comes to earth. She said, your will, your way, not my will, my way. Everyone get it? Okay. Very good. But there's more. And no, I don't have knives to sell you. <laughs> then the angel left her. Now watch. At that time, everybody say, what time was it? At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Did they have cell phones at that time? Did they have Facebook at that time? Did they have uh, 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 I'll leave it to your imagination at that time. All right. She, she runs to Zechariah's house and uh, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. Now remember, at that time, Mary left straight away. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and in a loud voice she said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. How did she know? When the Spirit of God comes upon you, the Spirit of God speaks to your spirit, and you will say things your natural mind doesn't even know. Can you see this? In the natural, the girl is a virgin. She's about to marry Joseph. That would almost be a disgraceful thing to say to a virgin who's going to be married to someone. You're pregnant. But the Holy Spirit came on Elizabeth. 
And suddenly she starts prophesying things her natural mind didn't know. People want to say the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. If the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today, then your spirit doesn't exist either. Your spirit is designed to hear from God and communicate with God. And God wants to talk to you through the gifts of the Spirit, through prophecy. He wants to give you information. He wants to give you plans. He wants to give you dreams. He wants to give you a way of escape. He wants to drop supernatural wisdom in your spirit. We will never reach our greatest successes in life while we live out of this body and out of the soul. We have to learn how to live out of our spirit. Let the spirit of God talk to our spirit and then your spirit talks to your soul and then your soul comes into agreement with your spirit and tells your body what to do. What happens to most of us is our body tells our soul what to do. And then we trigger responses. Is this good? Let me prove to you, the Bible says that God's spirit will search God's mind and bring information from God's mind and bring it to our spirit. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible you've been reading for the last 30 years and you probably never saw it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 13, everyone stop for a moment. Say, this is normal. This is how God created man before the fall. What's not normal is how most of us live. We live from our intellect and from our emotions. And our physical body, through the five senses, becomes the gateway whereby we bring information, we traffic information into our soul. And so we are still living out of the knowledge of evil rather than living out of the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God will come through God's spirit to your spirit, then to your soul, then to your body. But the, na- the knowledge of evil will come through the five gateways of the body and it'll speak to your soul and it'll speak corrupt information and you will respond and you will react out of distorted, corrupted information in your memory banks. Whoa, that was good. And don't ask me to say it again because it's not written in my notes. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 13, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit, capital S. Oh, that's only for the apostles. Once the apostles died and Jesus left, all of this supernatural stuff stopped. That's why we got dead churches because they actually believe that garbage. We are spiritual beings. And every one of us here, it's not enough for the pastor to get words of knowledge or words of wisdom. You know, people sit with me in counseling and I'll say things because I see things. I operate in the gifts on a regular basis. But we think that's just for the ministry. No, try being a parent today. You'll quickly know you need a word of wisdom, a word of discernment, you need a word of knowledge, and you need to prophesy to that kid. You don't do what I say, you're going to regret it. (laughs) That's a a new slant on the word of prophecy, but anyway, it'll work. So watch this here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit, capital S. The Spirit, capital S, searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit will search God's heart, and then He'll speak to us. Let's keep going. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit, little less, within them? You're born again, your spirit is awake and aware. I can't read your thoughts, but your spirit living in you, the real you, knows what you're thinking in the mind of your intellect. Those of you who are here from the beginning of this series, I read you a scripture where it says, Jesus knew in his spirit the thoughts the Pharisees were thinking. Okay? All right, your spirit knows your thoughts. Can everyone agree? All right, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit, capital S, of God. What we have received is not the spirit, little s, of the world, but the spirit, capital S, who is from God, so that we might understand what God has freely given us. In other words, the spirit of God searches the data banks of God, and then he brings revelation to us. He brings words of knowledge. He brings information we would not have known with our natural eye gate, ear gate, or any other gate. You see, God wants you to live a supernatural life because a supernatural life is super abundantly better than just a natural life. (laughs) To destroy divine order, Satan spoke to man, that is Adam and Eve, and he appealed first to their physical body, then to their soul, and he bypassed their spirit. I'm gonna prove that to you. I said divine order is spirit, soul, body. uh, Lucifer wanted to break divine order. And so he doesn't talk to Adam's spirit or Eve's spirit. He talks to their body. If you get things out of disorder, you have a better chance of having confusion than if you keep everything in order. Hello? Come on. The devil's a strategist. Okay, to destroy divine order, Satan spoke to Adam and Eve and appealed first to their body, then to their soul, and he bypassed their spirit. We're going to put a slide up. Divine order before the fall, Elohim. If you read the New Testament in the beginning, God, in the Hebrew, it is Elohim. Elohim is a plural. It doesn't mean there are three gods. It means that God is a triune being. And God... Whenever the Old Testament talks about God, it's always Elohim. He is plural. And yet when God spoke to Moses, he said, tell Israel that I am one. And the word one in the Hebrew, when Moses told Israel God is one, God wasn't contradicting himself. The word one is a compound plural, which means the word is ekad, and it means I am like a bunch of grapes. You can have one grape or a bunch of grapes. You can have one goose or a flock of goose, geese. God said, I, tell him I am one. I'm one. But he used the Hebrew word that is a compound plural. I am a cod. I am Elohim, 
the God who is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. All right? Okay, so divine order before the fall. At the top, you have Elohim, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Then you have man. God put everything under his feet. Adam was next in line. Not that he'll ever be a God. We will never be a God. Only God is God. But he, that's, that's the nature of a dad. He raises you up. And so the next was man. But man, as a triune being, was spirit, soul, then body. Then you had the animal kingdom. Then you had the plant kingdom. Then you had the demonic kingdom. That was divine order. Man went to the bottom, let's go to the next screen. Man went to the bottom of the divine order, also known as the chain of command, and he listened to the demonic world eating a fruit from the plant world suggested by an animal from the animal kingdom influenced by Satan, and he appealed first to his physical body, then to his soul. He ignored his spirit, and he ignored God. And I'm going to prove to you from the scripture that's exactly what happens. Are you ready to see it in the Bible? Come on. Come on. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, yum, yum, yummy in my tummy, that's not your soul. When she saw that it was good for food, he appealed to the physical body first. Why? He's got to break divine order to throw this thing into absolute chaos. Are you seeing that? When the woman saw that it was good for food and it was pleasing to the eye. Don't raise your hand. No one. Raise your hand. I'm going to ask you a question. Do not raise your hand. How many of you have ever been seduced because something was pleasing to your eye? The devil knows his game. So it was good for food. It was pleasing to the biological eye, to the body, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the mind of intellect. He appealed first to the physical body to break divine order. Then he goes to the soul, but he never spoke to Adam's spirit. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Adam was standing there the whole time. He was meant to be her covering, and he wasn't spiritual enough to even cover her with his pinky. And let me speak to every man in this house, whether you're married or not married, whether you're a teenager or you're 89 years old, you better get spiritual because you are not fulfilling your destiny in life until you are a spiritual being. You're meant to cover your wife and you're meant to cover your children. And if the world is going crazy, it's partly going crazy because the Christian man has not risen up like the last Adam. He has sat on his butt like the first Adam. And while the devil's talking to his kids and while the devil's talking to his wife, he's just standing there. And then he partakes. You said, ouch, do you still love me? That was sweet. Do you still love yes, me? Yes, I do. You're coming back next week. Of course. Grace, eventually you're going to marry this. Oh, you are married. You're married to this handsome baluka over here. 
Do you want him to be a good husband? Do you want him to cover you spiritually? When you have children together, do you want him to speak spiritual wise counsel into your children? That'll only happen. The mistake in the garden was that the first man wasn't a man. To be a man is to be spirit first, soul second, and a body third. We put all the emphasis of what a man is on the physical body. I go to the gym, look at my abs. Most guys flaunt the fact that they have a six pack. I got a whole barrel. I'm trying to reduce it to a six pack. Men, you're called to be spiritual. I don't care what Madonna sang about a physical world. You're meant to be spiritual. And if your house is out of order, it's because you're out of order. You need to be spiritual. And wives, you need to allow your husband to be spiritual and don't always try to decapitate him by telling him what God said. Amen. And we submit one to another. So there's none of this machoism, male dominance, arrogance. We submit, the Bible says, submit one to another. We're considerate of each other. You don't believe that? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You better love your wife as yourself. And if it's not good for you, then it ain't good for your wife. I hate the fact that people take one scripture out of context and it doesn't marry up with everything else that's in scripture. We're not preaching that men are meant to be the bullies. We're preaching that men are supposed to lay down their life for their family. The greater onus and the greater sacrifice is on the man. Most men want to just pound their chest and say, oh, I'm the boss, do what I said. No, Jesus said, husbands, love your wife the way I love the church. Last time I read, he put himself on the cross and died so that the church could live. Yeah, who said that? You could come back next week. Come on, look, guys. Do you get my heart? I'm not, I don't want to have church. I've got you for however long I've got you. The world has got you all week. And they're going to fill your brains with mush. Do we have any minors in the room? I'll modify it. The world's going to fill your brains with pigeon poo. In New York, we'd just say crap. I don't want to offend your sensibilities, but man, I, I want to be real. Can we stop playing religious games and just get real? I need this time with you. I need this time with you. We get so worried about the clock. Guys, your kids, your wife, your husband, out there we are being bombarded with a theology and an ideology that is totally godless and contrary to everything that Jesus demonstrated. I can't do church the way a mega church does church and spit at you for 15 seconds and send you home. 
I have an obligation to build a foundation in your life and to make it real, make it practical, make it tangible so that you could rise up in who God destined you to be. Somebody, give me an amen. Praise God. I do respect your time. I'm not done, but I'm going to curtail this, and we're going to do part two. This information is very important. It's not about keeping a scorecard, whether or not you showed up to church and whether or not Pastor Tom's going to give you a phone call. Okay? If you're laughing, that means you got a phone call. <laughs> If there was a preacher's suit, I'd rip it off and burn the damn thing. Why? Because we've got too many professionals. And they're not real. No, I'm not real because I talk a little bit of street. No, I'm real because my heart. I don't want to play this game. I want you to succeed. I want you to win. We live in a spiritual world and it's, there's demons everywhere. And there is spiritual warfare and there are rules of engagement. And most Christians are walking around in a fog. They don't know the rules of engagement and we're getting beat up. I don't want you beat up. I want you to beat up on the enemy. I want you to be an overcomer. I want you to be victorious. I want you to know who you are in Jesus Christ. I want you to spoon feed it to your kids. I want you to cover your wife, cover your husband, cover your family. I want you to be the salt. I want you to be the light. I want you to be the pillar in the temple of God. Come on, America needs you. Years ago, there was a slogan when war was on, Uncle Sam needs you. Forget Uncle Sam. Jesus Christ needs you. The world needs the church to grow up and show up and be the church of Jesus Christ. So we're going to have part two of this message. If you're here today, make sure you're here in two weeks' time. You say, two weeks' time. Next Sunday is Vision Sunday. I'm going to share with you, God gave me a mission statement. I've always had trouble writing mission statements. First reason why I have trouble writing a mission statement is they tell me it's got to be short. <laughs> I don't do short well. The only short I can do well is a short latte. But I still prefer a tall one. Next Sunday is Vision Sunday. It's very important. I need you here. I need you here. I don't want to run a church. I want to run a movement that is invading the community and going beyond this location. I want to set up satellites. I want to raise up preachers. I want to be the daddy in the house, not the local pastor. 
it's time for things to change, but the kind of preaching you get here, it needs to go further out. Can I get an amen? This is not your average type of teaching. How many, how many of you have been around for a while and you know this is not your average teaching? Stand up. Stand up. All right. You know what happens if we eat all the donuts in the donut shop and we don't sell any? We get fat. And when we get fat, we get unfit. And when we get unfit, we get lazy. And when we get lazy and unfit, we get sick. That happens in a church. The natural world corresponds to the spiritual world. Because the spiritual world comes first. All right, you can take your seat. I'm closing. Next Sunday, please be here for Vision Sunday. The following Sunday, I'm going to pick up right where I left off. I want to teach you more. Has this been good? Yes. All right. I didn't give you the best and the least is yet to come. No. There's a lot of good stuff here. I now have to run a discipleship class, and I got to teach in there as well. Listen to me. I got counseling later this afternoon. Listen to me. This is about you. This is not about church growth. I have to give account to God. And he's going to want to know whether or not I helped put out the best version of you and the best version of you and the best version of you. I know I'd get a lot more ticks in the like column if every message was just 30 minutes and everyone left on a buzz. But it's not about how popular I become. It's about how well I do my job. And I take my job very serious. I don't read this stuff in other books. I pray and I let the Spirit of God talk to me. And then I say, God, prove it to me in the Bible so I can show them. So next Sunday, we're going to have Vision Sunday. You're all going to come. The Sunday after that, you're coming and you're bringing your neighbors too. Okay? We're going to close. You need to ask Jesus in your heart if you've never done that. It's not about sitting your butt in a church chair. It's not about calling yourself Baptist, Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian. Religion doesn't do it. You have to have a one-on relationship with Jesus. You could come here and listen to me and really like it, but if you never ask Jesus in your heart, you've missed it. I can't be your Jesus, and I can't be your relationship with God. I'm just the instructor. A good one, yeah, I know. No, seriously, I, I know God has given me a gift. I take this all very serious. If you were to come to Saturday morning prayer meetings and ask some of the people in the prayer meetings like Paul and Beth, Pastor Jan and uh, Val is there at times and you would see, I get them to pray for me and I often break down. Paul, am I lying? I break down in tears. I say, I don't want to preach my knowledge. I want to hear from God. I take this very serious. I know the stuff I'm teaching you is not common. It's not commonly taught. And I also know it'll revolutionize your lives if you do it. But first, 
you've never asked Jesus in your heart, you got to do that. Let's stand. If you're here this morning or watching online, maybe you used to be an active Christian, but you walked away. Maybe you've never been a Christian. You need to ask Jesus in your heart. If I'm talking to you, if the Holy Spirit is talking to you, come on. Come on. Don't let your soul, don't let your fears talk to you. Let the Spirit of God talk to your spirit. Raise your hand right now and say, I need Jesus. I want to ask Jesus in my heart. One, two. One, two, three, four. I know these folk just recently did that. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. Five. Thank you, Daniel. Five, uh, sorry, that's three. Mike and Jennifer, they've done that. They're new Christians. They're just growing now. That's awesome. So we got three. It starts here, guys. Trust me. I'm not asking you to put your faith in me. I'm asking you to put your faith in Jesus. My church cannot save you. Jesus can. I want everyone to repeat after me, especially if you raised your hand. Repeat this prayer. Dear God, I believe you. I'm convinced you love me. You care about me. I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I'm sorry. I just want help. Jesus Christ, come live in my heart make sense of my life I surrender to you and ask you to live inside of me I want to do life with you thank you God for sending Jesus thank you Jesus for hearing my prayer I receive you and I accept you right now amen Come on, church, put your hands together. Three people raise their hand today. That's awesome. That's awesome. It really is. Now listen, if you raise your hand and you're able to, I'm running a discipleship class next door. We feed you for free. I give you all the literature for free. At the end of the course, we give you a leather-bound Bible cover. You get a Bible. It's over, over $50, $60 worth. If you can't come today because you didn't know, you join us next week. Soon, in a couple of weeks, we're doing water baptism. Today, I'm teaching on water baptism. If you have never been baptized in water by full immersion, that's what they did to Jesus. They didn't sprinkle him, okay? They didn't put a hose on him. He went down into the river, and when he came up out, the symbolism of baptism is you're buried with Christ and then you rise again. If that's the symbolism the Bible uses, how many of you bury your dead and throw just a handful of dirt on the dead body? I don't think so. If you've never been baptized as an adult who chose to follow Jesus, then I encourage you, join the class. We'll feed you. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptismal service. How many of you are excited that people are going to be baptized in water? Amen. Amen. This is important. Very important. 
God bless you guys. I care about you. I love you. Keep coming. Not for me. Keep coming for you. Keep coming for your family. Keep coming for America. America needs to see a better version of Christianity than what it's seeing today. Can I get an agreement? God bless you. God bless you.